Hey everybody, Scott Malcolm here from Money Mechanics. Just a quick message to say, any information that we share during this podcast is general information only. Please do not act on that information without considering the appropriateness towards your specific needs and outcomes. Ideally, we suggest that you go and meet with a financial planner and get personal advice. Hi folks, welcome along to another episode of Looking Under the Hood. I'm Scott Malcolm. Today we are unpacking the money stuff around superannuation and more specifically self-managed super. Now, superannuation can be one of those big minefields of uh, information and can be quite confusing. Uh, Although majority of us as working adults have a superannuation account, uh, for the most part, a lot of people don't actually understand the nuances of how superannuation works. Today, I'm joined by Gemma Sanderson from Cooper Partners, who has literally written the book on self-managed super funds, at least one of the books. How are you, Gemma? I am very well, thanks, Scott. How are you? (laughs) I am amazing, and it's so cool to connect with you. I think we first met early 2000s, I want to say, studying... I think that's accurate. Yeah, superannuation and really getting our our brains... Nerd on. Yeah, finance geek on and getting into the legislation side of things. Now... I've been asking all my guests who come along uh, around their happiest early money memory. So have you got an early memory around money that's a a happy one to share with us today? When I was seven, so a long, long, long time ago, ago. uh, we were really fortunate. My dad had long service leave and we spent six months going around Australia in a caravan. So you're thinking, what's this got to do with money, Gemma? So we're talking the 80s, uh, I think our sort of pocket money was 50 cents a week or something like that. But because we were um, going on a trip, it became 50 cents a day. And that was extraordinary for, you know, little kids. Yeah, wow. And mum and dad, basically, we, we learned how to almost budget and manage that ourselves. So, we got 50 cents a day to spend on what we wanted to. But if we wanted to... Uh, buy something a bit more substantial, then we had to save up for that. So, I remember like the first few days, obviously, it's all about buying lollies and things like that at the shop and 50 cents would get you a lot. I remember three lollies for two cents. Yeah, I was going to say one and two two cents cents. was a thing. Yeah, yeah. And one of the, at one of the areas, we went to the Northern Territory and there was this hat that I wanted and it was $7. So, it was two weeks worth of of my my little allowance. I thought that is a lot of 50 cent pieces. It is. So anyway, like I have a happy memory about that. I think it was fantastic sort of teaching us from a young age about money and it's not just doesn't grow on trees, but it's like it was fun as part of it as well and almost a bit competitive between my brother and sister because we all got the, the same amount and then who was saving the most and all that sort of thing. So it is quite a happy memory and also ties in with us going around Australia in a caravan, which we still now um, talk about with so much fondness. I'm very grateful to my parents to have been able to do that, but also the the lessons that they taught us along the way. Yeah, that is fantastic. And just that richness of that life experience. Let's talk about superannuation. Well, well actually, let's, let's geek out and talk more around self-managed superannuation. Because I guess superannuation, especially, like I often say to people, it's purely just a tax strategy. So you've probably heard it from from clients over the years as well. When we've had market corrections or adjustments, people go, oh, my superannuation is rubbish. And 
often getting people to step away from the actual tax vehicle itself and say, no, your investment strategy is rubbish. Let's look at that again, uh, is a big part of that. So do you want to just give us a maybe a quick 101 on super, but then also tie that into what, what a self-made super fund is? So you're quite right. Uh, a lot of people do get confused. They think you know, self-managed super funds have got better tax concessions than other super, and that's not the case. It's a superannuation structure that happens to be self-managed or the other one is you know, the do-it-yourself super. So super is the best structure that you've got available in Australia because mainly from a tax perspective, asset protection is in there as well, but a 15% tax rate on income and 10% on long-term capital gains and even zero if you're retired and in pension phase. I mean, it's ticking a, a lot of boxes. And obviously, a lot of people in Australia have got have built up their assets in super. There's those incentives to do so. And at the moment, if you're over 60 and retired, you can have tax-free earnings in the fund and what you're pulling out of the fund is tax-free. So, it's just this wonderful, wonderful structure, superannuation as a as an entity. So, then we move down one of the options to manage and hold your super and your investments in super is in a self-managed fund. So, a lot of people go down this path because they want to take control of their investments mm. and it's an area that in my view, uh, I know that ASIC have got a minimum amount that they should people should have in super. I think it should be higher than what the ASIC level is just okay. purely from a, an economic perspective mm. and um, from a managing the costs and things like that. My preference is about half a million dollars. Yeah. But one of the benefits of having a self-managed fund is the ability for members of a couple to pull their money from that investment perspective. So, the ability to to run your own investment strategy and not being potentially limited by the investment menu in one of the more public offer funds is one of the attractive areas of a self-managed fund. The other thing is from an estate planning perspective, there can be some benefits, but they're not right for everyone. Mm. So, one of the big areas is that the member is the trustee or the director of the corporate trustee. Preference is always to have a corporate. And that means that, that really the buck stops with them from that responsibility mm. pers perspective. So, being aware of what those responsibilities are is really, really important and don't go in it with rose-coloured glasses. There's a, a lot involved, which you can outsource a lot to other people in terms of running a self-managed fund, yep. but uh, you need to be aware of what's involved. Yeah, and, and the buck does stop with the with the trustee or with the, the director. If they don't have that right strategy or advice behind them, we do hear some horror stories. I'm dealing with one at the moment where uh, the person was trying to maximise their super and back in the day they had a unit trust set up in their fund. Anyway, it was absolute dog's breakfast and I think um, they buried their head in the sand and then had 18 years worth of outstanding financials oh, and it's no. then yeah face palm yeah, yeah. and then it's so difficult to actually get that done and the tax office is uh, very much on top of people if you don't have your lodgements up to date then what have you got to hide mm. and uh, that was certainly the case here and the fund had since really had nothing left in it uh, but because it was late with all its lodgements the tax office recreated and looked at all the transactions and the, uh, ended up with a $900,000 tax bill oh. as well as penalties. So, it was like a $1.8 million tax um, 
tax scenario that came through. So, you, you know, that's a very extreme example of um, some mm. nasty things going on. But again, it's it's like your personal tax obligations. You've got annual obligations. You need to get them right. And with superannuation particularly, it's got concessional tax treatment. Mm. So, you do have to have it audited. You do need to make sure that you are ticking all the boxes. We've actually been probably wrapping up more self-managed super funds and setting up. So, we, we've still been setting up funds, but we've actually come across a, a number of people who have probably been moved into them where it wasn't the ideal strategy in that they, they had the strategy there, but they just at the end of the day had a few ASX listed shares and a couple of managed funds in the the super fund. And so the complexity and the compliance actually wasn't worthwhile for them anymore. So I guess you touched on a a sort of asset base level for for self-managed super funds, but what's your other sort of key when it comes to strategy or solution? Like like where where do self-managed super funds really hit their strides, I guess, in that regard? They certainly do hit their strides on managing those investments that are certainly not part of a, a, I'll call it a general menu within a usual superannuation fund structure. And at the moment, and I'm, I don't know anything about investing, so I'm going to put my hand up from that perspective. But in feedback from a lot of clients is trying to find those assets that they can invest in 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 superannuation or in any other structure that is delivering the returns is a real challenge at the moment, Mm. particularly with fixed interests and term deposits. Like The interest rates are at all-time lows, so they're not getting that return there. And the, I'll call them mainstream sort of investments, you know, shares and things like that, they're all fine, but people are looking for some of the alternatives that are out there to deliver a a higher rate of return, but not at too much high risk. Mm -hmm. So, where those sorts of investments aren't available through a non-SMSF structure, uh, then an SMSF is certainly uh, worthwhile from that perspective. The other area where we do see it of value is business owners Mm -hmm. and they're acquiring their business premises in there. So, it's a way for them to use their superannuation to build their retirement savings on the side whilst also enabling them to manage their business. So, we do see that as a as quite an attractive strategy from that perspective as well with with self-managed super and those people that have had them in place for many many years they do often love the structure mm. and the share portfolios that they're managing in there so it's i feel like where we're coming from is self-managed funds certainly there was a massive gap between the investment menu within a self-managed fund and and other types of funds. I feel like that gap is closing somewhat, Mm. but still people like some of the cost effectiveness that comes with a self-managed fund, being able to pull the resources of both mum and dad and both spouses in the fund to manage uh, the investments in a single location rather than in multiples, all of those sorts of things. It it certainly has its place, but like I said, it's not for everyone. Mm. And we see similar stories to what you've dealt with. The ones that I don't like hearing uh, that someone goes to you know, the one-stop shop and the fund gets set up for them, they get told to buy a property, the loan is written, all of these things happen all in the one place and the person, the member, has absolutely no idea and it's just and, – and they've got $100,000 or something like that in, mm. in, in super. So, the cost of setting all of that up is outrageous and I have to say I've probably – talked people out of setting up self-managed funds as well. Oh, we've got all this mm. money. We want to borrow in the fund to buy a property. Okay, how yep. much How much money have you got between yourself and your spouse or, you know, 100000 Well, by the time you've set up the fund, 
paid the loan fees, paid the advice fee, paid the stamp duty, then the actual property that you can buy is not necessarily worthwhile. So mm. it's, again, that education process is really, really important. The key is about strategy and uh, and as you're saying, some of those uh, amazing strategies are either pooling asset or even um, without getting too too complex and technical, but segregated accounts. So being able to have sort of tax-free pension accounts um, mixed with a, an accumulation account for, for argument's sake in there. So it is really about, again, without without geeking out too much and having listeners turn off, it's about getting that, that tax strategy right in the first instance when it does come to that, that retirement planning and, and using self-managed super funds. And, and I think the key point the, to pick out of that as well is that the ATO um, is basically, I don't want to say custodian, but they basically manage the, the super environment. So again, as a tax play, it sits with the ATO. APRA has a little bit to do with it as well. ASIC sort of ties in there around the edges as well. So there's a few sort of key players who legislate and, and manage the the system. But I do want to take my uh, my hat off to the ATO. Uh, if anyone from the ATO is listening, hi. Um, but just <laughs> <laughs> the resources and the, the amount of um, money they've spent on actually uh, doing their website recently and some of the education stuff, they, they've actually done some really good things. So if you are thinking about a self-managed super fund or you've got one in play and you, you haven't had advice recently, check out a lot of the resources online there because that's usually the first port of call we send clients who are thinking about self-managed super funds too. Gemma, would you say, I mean, that, that client example you said before with sort of the 900000 of of liability, would you say for the most part, the ATO doesn't want to come in with sort of the, the yardstick, do they? They want to sort of try and help people rectify if they are uh, or aren't on top of things. What's your experience been in that space? That's exactly right. So because it's people's retirement savings, they don't want to come in and clean the floor and say, right, it's a non-complying fund, 45% tax on the account, lists the the tax-free component. So that's one of the the penalties of a fund being held to be non-complying. So for them to actually impose that is the situations where people have done the wrong thing, but not just once, constantly and consistently. And and I guess what you were talking about earlier, they for those people that are outstanding for a lot of their other obligations, that's when they'll be looking going, hmm, right, okay, well, Scotty's four years out of date with his personal. Let's talk to him about why is he setting up this fund? Is he setting up this fund so that he can access his super or has he been sold a strategy to... Um, release, get early access. So understanding the the role there, and it it is. Uh, I agree. Like I think the tax office does do a great job from this perspective with the resources that they do have, and it's a tough area to be on top of everything. But when you hear the statistics, there's a very low number of funds that are made non-complying each year, and most people are up to date with their lodgements, and that that's obviously pleasing. So you know, to get the tax concessions, you've got to make sure that. They that you're doing the right thing. Often say to clients, look, talk to me before you actually implement something. So if you're thinking about, again, buying a property or doing something within the self-managed super fund, let's have that conversation beforehand so that it doesn't then turn into a, 
oh, actually, this is what we've done. And then we're trying to sort of tidy it up in the background. Sometimes, again, self-managed server funds, I'll have new clients who, who roll in and you probably have the same thing. They've got, oh, everything's set up and yeah, it's all fine. But then when it comes to our, our uh, experience and process, we're sort of like, well, actually, we've got to now look at all that, make sure all the documentation is right, make sure all the lodgements are up to date, make sure that all the, all the strategies and um, uh, everything is, is aligned so that when we start giving advice that we're not sort of starting from a, a, an uneven keel, so to speak, that we've actually gone, yet. Yeah, this is all uh, hunky-dory, so to speak, at the end of the day. So I think sometimes people don't appreciate that in that they roll in and go, oh, well, I've got this self-managed super fund. I got my trustee back in 1999 and um, away we go. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I think that you've hit the nail on the head there as well, just with the trustee. So um, we that see all these old trustees, and that's fine. Like sometimes you might not need needed to have updated it. It's obviously prudent mm. to to look at that. But there's so many, uh, and every fund is different. And one of the big issues that has come through in the industry is is getting those deeds correct and the from that estate planning perspective. And that's one of the big strategies with a self-managed super fund is managing the estate planning because the super can really circumvent the will, mm. say for in New South Wales with your notional estate. So it's like, it's so imperative to, to get that correct. And people can be quite dismissive of it. Uh, and blended families, you just asking for a dispute, which is a substantial generalisation. But most, a lot of, uh, binding death benefit nominations as an example that we review, 95% mm. of them are actually invalid. And so the people are hanging their hats on these and they haven't reviewed back and looked at, okay, well, the, it was set up in 95. There's been four deed amendments since then. That nomination was put in place with this one and there's been two more deed. Like how it all of that align. fits in together. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't align and then you've got the uh, these new rules that have made things a little bit more complicated and even is a pension reversionary or not, mm. um, that's a, a big one as well because it might say on the financial statements, yep, it's, the, uh, it's reversionary but actually where are the original documents? So, there's so many little bits and pieces that... Uh, you do a health check of, of one of these funds that's been around for a while and we're not even talking about whether the investments are appropriate. Mm. We're talking about how the structure is set up, Correct. the succession of that, all those sorts of things and you get that wrong and you, you're talking the this is one of the, the, I think they say the second most substantial asset next to the family home. Mm. I would argue that a lot of the time these days it's even more substantial than the family home mm. and so if you get that wrong, your estate's then worth nothing and then you've got no dispute that can come across. So anyway, we digress a little yeah. bit there. And, um, and I think you, you touched on a really um, important point there and those those reversionary benefits, so just to, to unpack those with, for people, it's it's really then that, that benefit saying, right, if you've got a pension set up at the moment, so Gemma's got her pension set up if something happens to her it then reverts over to her spouse and will continue on and so that can actually work really well as a, an estate mechanism but also again shout out to one of our, our prior episodes when we talked about estate planning with a, with an estate planning solicitor your superannuation sits outside of, of the estate so getting all that stuff uh, aligned is is so crucial uh, Gemma just to, to pivot around to, to use those power words um I guess we, yes. we're probably talking some big strategy and, and, and some big things there for people who are, who are new, new to the self-managed super space. But 
can people really do it yourself? Like, you know, I've got a view on this, but again, there's a super fund out there that people will go on. I shouldn't name names, but there's sort of online providers on there that you, people can log in and um, set up their own funds online within sort of 48 hours and then they can get it all administered and, and use sort of technologies to sort of make that work in the background. But is it really DIY? Like, can you get away without uh, actually taking advice or, or going through that process in your in your humble opinion? I think that it's like the DIY side of things is, again, a bit of a misnomer. I, I, I think that's certain elements of it you, you can do it yourself, so, but it depends on the way that you're wired. So, I have a client and he loves managing the investments himself. Every day he's reviewing all of the ones that he's got. He's, he's got the research that comes through and he absolutely loves it. And so he does that himself. And then the administration gets done by his tax accountant and all that sort of thing. And then we come in and overlay the strategy side of things with pensions and contributions and estate planning and things like that. So in that case, there's sure there's an element there of DIY. In most cases, what we also see, the the example you gave, someone might set up the, the fund themselves. They might be running the investments through one of the online platforms, the online brokers, they've got their account, they're managing all of, of that themselves and perhaps they're using an online administration system that also does the audit. So, uh, there's a lot of bits and pieces in there where the do-it-yourself of the administration and audit that is being outsourced but we also can see in those situations where we might pick up a client who've run with that, that they're not necessarily getting the strategy side of things. So, they mm. don't have that person that knows their situation in and out, can call them and say, oh, look, Scott, the legislation's changed on this. We might need to restructure here. Now, not everyone needs that. Perhaps once they've set up the pensions, mm. they're happy and, and they can continue on. So, there's, mm. there's all sorts of bits and pieces where perhaps you can do it yourself. I would say in the main, most people do outsource because the self-managed fund for a lot of people is they might have had their employer fund and then they're leading to retirement. So, then they look at the self-managed fund because they might have some more time on their hands or that's where they would consolidate with their spouse when they're retired. So, the emphasis here is that sometimes that's the catalyst for setting up the self-managed fund is retirement and they want to be retired. They don't want to be managing their investments or managing any of those sorts of things. They want to just go around Australia in a caravan or do any of those um, yep. bits and pieces and not having to sit there and do it. And, and I think, the again, it's all about having that framework the right framework in place around your money and so as you say for people who want to be um, have that ultimate transparency or be using sort of other unique investments that are outside of the norm or they've got different uh, estate or contribution or pension strategies going on they can just fit, fit really nicely into uh, the, the broader part of their decision making framework. As an example, um, one of the cases that came through on this estate mm. planning perspective was um, a lawyer who said, oh, I'll just do that myself. I'll do my diet binding death benefit nomination myself rather than taking advice. And it was incorrect. Mm -hmm. And it meant that um, his uh, second spouse uh, was in control of the money and paid it all to themselves. And then nothing went to the estate where the, the children were to get it. Yeah, so, wow. again, um, You've got to be, again, super careful about where you do do it yourself. You know, it's a specialised area. Self-managed super is all, all I do, self-managed super and super, because it's so specialised and there's 
so many bits and pieces going on. So if you were, you know, mum and dad off the street trying to upskill when you're supposed to be retired, I don't know. It's not mm. the sort of thing I would it is. necessarily and be keen to do. The, the go- <laughs> I mean, we're, we're heading towards it now, like with, with federal budget. And again, I, I don't know, get another, another view politicians tinkering with super all the time is is quite frustrating in that they use it to try and balance their budget um that that super tax reform is is often a, another big you know probably a whole another episode that we can we can talk about but um it, it yeah. does get annoying because politicians come in and 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 tweak it all or they they remove stuff um to to simplify super back in the the Howard Costello days, and then Turnbull and uh, and Scomo bring it all back in under different names, and go, oh yes, we've now implemented transfer balance caps and uh, concessional contribution limits, rather than a that. reasonable benefit limit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember those RBLs. Yeah. I, I I grew up on RBLs yeah, we in loved this those. industry. weren't they fun, Gemma? Everybody's going, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was now. so fun. So fun. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. So I guess that change and that that um stuff that goes on. I think we we see. A lot of people often just coming in for that sanity check as you say just to go right is is the strategy mm. still right have there been changes that um have impacted me again we could talk about this stuff all day Gemma, and and i'm going to get you back to potentially uh talk about some other uh, big self-managed super fund spaces that i'd especially love to help uh, or, or unpack with you uh limited recourse borrowing arrangements because i think they're a a really fascinating space as well but i guess as we wrap up like uh, do you think there's sort of any take-home tips or, or sort of top things for people who've either already got their self-managed super fund in place or thinking about setting up a self-managed super fund that you would just say, right, these are my top two or three things that, that you would suggest that they sort of take a look at? So for those who already have one, uh, my biggest tips would be to make sure you've got the strategy right. So whether that's contributions, looking at your insurances in there, um, are you retired? What does that look like with your pensions? Estate planning's that big one. So just getting that structure right. If you get the structure right, the investment management and getting that right is the cherry on top. Mm. For those people who are looking at setting one up, going to the tax officer's website and seeing the information that they have available is a really good starting point. A lot of people think, right, I can set one up and I can go off and borrow, do a limited recourse borrowing arrangement and, and buy this investment property that I really want to buy, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of these things, again, I'll say it, I've said it enough times, investments are not my thing. But when people talk to me about those sorts of arrangements, I, I would consider why are you setting up a self-managed super fund? Is it because you want to buy that residential property and you think that's a good investment? So then my question would be, is it a good investment? So what are the investment metrics around those sorts of things and the reasons why you're looking at at setting up a fund? The other thing is costs can be um, a consideration with setting up a self-managed fund. One of the reasons that you're doing it is because you think you could get a better investment return on your super than are you just in the wrong investment option mm. or, or do you just need investment advice rather than setting up a new structure to, to run down that path? So it's taking that step back and not listening to them. I mean, I, I very much dislike the barbecue talk of, oh, I've got a self-managed fund and I do all this sort of stuff. It's like, okay, well, maybe Scotty's had his self-managed fund for 10 years and he's got a grandfathered structure under that that has enabled him to do that mm. as opposed to a new one where you can't do that because they've changed the rules and those rules do change quite a bit. So, uh, again, take that step back. Why are you setting up a self-managed super fund um, and looking at your current 
super, whether that is, you know, is, is that ticking the boxes? And the biggest thing, and again, this isn't our area, but I do have a, a big concern about how underinsured mm. we as a country are. And the last thing I would ever want to see is someone to set up a self-managed fund, do their rollover, and then they don't have that insurance in place. So, just getting that insurance piece right is really, really important for the existing SMSF members, as well as anyone who's thinking about it. Yeah, we've seen some interesting assets that people have obviously bought in their self-managed fund. Um, I think there's a couple, like there's a moon rock, apparently yeah, a self-managed wow. fund in Australia Ooh. has a moon rock lo- in it. I love that. I've seen some with some, with some yeah, with some cars in them. Uh, those wine. sorts of things. Is it, yeah, um, <laughs> an aeroplane I've seen in, in one before. Yeah, wow. There's some bollards that are and on a jetty somewhere that are also apparently within a self-managed super fund. So there's some really quirky investments in them. Most of the time they're um, reasonably, and I'll say vanilla, mm. It's you're looking at the same sort of asset allocation that you might through another sort of super fund, but the benefit of having a self-managed is maybe it's pooling the investments yeah. and getting some cost savings from that perspective. It is all about context. So it's about doing your numbers. It's about making sure that the the strategy and the structure is right and that it's going to serve your um, bigger picture framework at the end of the day. So thanks, Gemma. It's been great to uh, have you along. And I know uh, we do try and keep these episodes short and sweet. So thank you so much for your time. It's been great to connect with you. And yeah, look forward to having further conversations with you about uh, the, the self-managed super fund space. Well, thank you for having me, Scott. It's always um, lovely to catch up and and chat about these sorts of things and trying not to get too technical and too nerdy is always a bit of a challenge for me. Ah, it's always fun, though. I'm that way inclined, but... It is always fun. It is always fun. I'll, I'll put all the links up on the uh, show notes, so uh, links to some of the ATO resources as well and links to uh, to Gemma uh, as well because Gemma's, uh, as I say, written the book on self-managed super funds, so you can even go and check out uh, that as well to, to totally geek out and, and join us on that front. But um, thanks for listening. Thanks for, for the feedback so far and uh, look forward to connecting again with you soon.